Rosemary's Hit List, the official companion podcast, is a killer audio creations production. It is produced on request of Showmax. The content, opinions, and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Showmax, Killer Audio Creations, or any of its affiliates or sponsors. This podcast may contain disturbing subject matter, and this should be taken into consideration when listening. Welcome back to Rosemary's Hit List, the official companion podcast. I'm Nicole Engelbrecht. And I'm joined by my co-host, Mfundon Dala. If you haven't listened to episode one of the podcast or watched the show Max original Rosemary's Hit List, I strongly recommend you do that first and come back here. In the first episode, we discussed the insurance industry and how, if at all, that industry's weaknesses may have played a role in Rosemary and Blauvu getting away with her crimes for so long. This week, we take a similar consideration, but this time with Rosemary's profession. Perhaps one of the most shocking elements of this case was that this cold-blooded serial killer was a police officer. This is one of the roles in society in which we place the most trust, or at least we should be able to. And if there's one thing I've learned in my true crime adventures, it's that you absolutely cannot judge an entire organisation by a few bad apples. And up front, I'd like to say that this episode is not intended to badmouth the SAPS or policing as a profession. I know a lot of really good cops. In fact, the large majority of police officers are just out there every day trying to do the best they can with some pretty poor resources. But there are some grey areas, and this doesn't just apply to police in South Africa. In fact, it applies to many similar organisations across the world. The police, the army, any organisation really where people become bonded over a particular cause and they become almost like family. It's more than a job and your colleague's well-being is important. Sometimes important enough to look the other way. There are a few elements of Rosemary and Blauvu's role as a police officer that Mfundo and I thought were important to delve down into in this episode. But let's start with the most obvious, and the title of this episode, The Blue Shield. In colloquial terms, the Blue Shield is used to describe police officers protecting and covering up for other police officers in different ways. It's a term that originated in the 60s in America, where especially in places like New York and Chicago, where organised crime was prevalent, a lot of police officers were corrupt. And a lot of the non-corrupt officers just looked the other way. And we know for a fact that this happens in police stations across the world. Again, the Blue Shield varies in how far it will go to cover things up for fellow officers. Sometimes it's looking the other way when a fellow officer has a drinking problem after work, which may or may not bleed into working hours. Other times it's pretending not to see the shove they give an arrested person that wasn't really necessary. What we're seeing more and more frequently, unfortunately, 
is male police officers involved in domestic violence incidents, not being treated the same way as other members of the public with the same accusations against them. Their victims will often struggle to get protection orders enforced. Their weapons will not be confiscated when protection orders are in place against them. But none of this applied to Rosemary and Blauvu, surely. Or did it? Rosemary spent most of her career stationed at Tembisa Police Station in Gauteng. She was promoted to the rank of sergeant and for the most part seemed to be a well-respected officer. But we know from the documentary that there were things that people she worked with were looking away from. Lovu was known to be a bit of a loner and to have a volatile temper. However, her colleagues did not seem to think that this was a cause for concern. They may have even seen it as a sign of her dedication to her job. Her colleagues certainly didn't see much of what was happening with Rosemary as cause for concern. And there were more obvious issues, too. In the documentary, we heard about a gambling problem and loan sharks arriving at the police station looking for her. Her gambling and avoiding loan sharks allegedly impacted her timekeeping, as she'd taken time off from work when she was trying to avoid them. From what we heard, it seems her seniors were actually trying to help her to negotiate with the loan sharks. And if that wasn't bad enough... We also heard something even more damning. Ndovu sought the help of a fellow officer when attempting to take the life of her partner Maurice, but she was not reported at the time. Unlicensed lending is illegal in South Africa, but instead of arresting and prosecuting these predatory lenders, a workplace intervention was held for Ndovu to help her deal with the loan sharks. These are just two examples from the series that disappointed me and further highlighted how certain people are protected by the South African police service at the expense of public good. She was able to get away with her crimes for so long because her colleagues did not share information with each other. For example, one colleague was aware that Ndlovu had taken out a life insurance policy on her live-in partner, and she had even approached him about finding a hitman for his murder. But he did not share this information with his other colleagues opting instead to be moved to a different department. However, in defense of their actions, it is highly likely that they were afraid of her. She was known to be a volatile person with an unstable temper, and this may have prevented them from speaking up about her behavior or initiating an investigation sooner. It's also possible that her colleagues were complacent and simply assumed that she was a good police officer and that there was nothing to worry about. The roots of Rosemary's financial problems clearly seem to be a gambling addiction. And although an alcohol or substance use issue that impacted her work would have had to have been dealt with, this type of addiction was not addressed. In fact, she was enabled by her senior officers who stepped in to make negotiations with illegal loan sharks. And let's not forget that these loan sharks, who were clearly doing something illegal, felt quite entitled to come to a police station to demand their money. I think that says something too. But the most shocking thing that the Blue Shield seemed to hide, or at least with one police officer, 
was that Rosemary had approached a fellow officer to find a hitman to kill one of the victims for which she was convicted. And whether that officer knowingly hid that information or whether they thought it was a sick joke, this indicates two things. Firstly, this all could have been stopped pretty early on if the right steps had been taken. And Rosemary and Lovu was pretty comfortable approaching her fellow officers about illegal activities. Why was she so comfortable doing that? Because that officer wouldn't be the last colleague who was made aware of what she had up her sleeve. And the other one we know about is Nomsa Mudao. This is the female officer who, when she complained about her husband, Rosemary suggested she should just hire a hitman to murder him. And she seemingly quite easily went along with it. What is that about? Another female police officer who seems to think it's quite all right to commit murder. And I will state that this case is still ongoing, so these are all allegations. But there certainly seems to be sufficient proof to have gotten to the prosecution stage. And of course, it was all in Rosemary's hit list. So, is this really a coincidence? Two, maybe three officers who think targeted hits are okay? It goes without saying, but they may have also just been corrupt. Nom Samudao was one such corrupt colleague, and it is very possible that there were others with a vested interest in not investigating her claims or looking too closely at her behavior. The fact that Nom Samudao, a police officer, was easily convinced to kill her husband is a concerning reflection on the role of the South African Police Service in this case. It suggests that there may be a culture of violence and impunity within the SAPs, which may have contributed to Modal's decision to commit murder. Is this a case of the Blue Shield combining with personalities who think they're above the law and them actually having the ability to put themselves above the law? There are a number of factors that may have contributed to this culture of violence and impunity within SAPs, and these include the high levels of corruption within SAPs, which can create a climate of fear and intimidation, the lack of accountability for police officers who commit crimes. This can send the message that they are above the law. The lack of training and resources for police officers can lead to them resorting to violence as a way of resolving conflicts. The case of Nom Samudao is a reminder that the South African Police Service needs to take steps to address the culture of violence and impunity within its ranks. This includes cracking down on corruption within the South African Police Service, holding police officers accountable for their crimes, and providing police officers with better training and resources. Only by addressing these issues can SAPs hope to rebuild public trust and prevent future tragedies like the one that occurred in this case. In addition to the factors that I've mentioned, it's also important to consider the personal circumstances of Nom Samudal. She was reportedly in a difficult financial situation and was struggling to cope with the stress of her job. This may have made her feel more vulnerable to the influence of Rosemary Glove. 
who herself is now a convicted serial killer. Ultimately, the case of Mudao is a complex one that raises a number of important questions about the role of the South African Police Service in South Africa. It is a reminder that SAPS needs to do more to address the culture of violence and impunity, and it needs to provide better support to its officers who are struggling to cope with the stress of their job. And this takes us to another matter that Mfundo and I were discussing. Access that police officers have to psychologists, which is pretty much almost none. I first became aware of the seriousness of this issue when I interviewed retired SAPS Captain Ben Boyson for the Devil's Dorp Companion podcast. He told me that although there are pretty decent psychological tests done when a person enters the police service, it kind of ends there. There are counselling services of sorts for officers to go to to debrief after particularly hectic cases or if they're struggling with anything in particular. But as the word counselling implies, for the most part, these are not trained mental health practitioners. A recent carte blanche expose revealed that South African officers are seeing mainly pastors as counsellors, regardless of their religious affiliation. Clearly, this is not ideal. And while I'm very certain that Rosemary would not have sought out psychological help for her murderous fantasies, there was a time when she could have gotten help for her gambling addiction, her temper problems, and the issues she seemed to be creating in her own life. We don't know if that would have had any impact on what followed, but it most certainly wouldn't have hurt in terms of sorting out her base life issues. Rosemary aside, the fact that our police officers do not have access to proper psychological services is alarming for several reasons. These are men and women who see very difficult things and are simultaneously dealing with all the normal stresses of life. We're seeing more and more instances of police officers wiping out their entire families, for instance, or killing their partners and then themselves. And one never knows how a person with mental health difficulties will react in a stressful situation when they're armed for the purposes of their job. So the Blue Shield is one side of this, The idea that Rosemary's colleagues looked away because she was a police officer. But there's another side to that coin, and that is plain old poor incompetence, which is sadly something many police officers are accused of on a daily basis, both here and across the world. I often feel like there is always a split among ordinary citizens with regard to their feelings about police. Some feel that the police are useless and they wouldn't trust them to investigate an important case. And others are more optimistic, feeling that there is hope and that the police can, for the most part, be trusted. In my experience, the police don't even hold criminals to basic standards, so I'd be delusional to think they hold their own to a higher standard than the average person. Living with these thoughts and feelings makes me 
incredibly sad and disappointed, but more than anything, I'm extremely worried about what the younger generation is inheriting. Things are not getting better. For every high-profile case that is solved, there are thousands more that go without answers. I hate that I'm probably sounding and coming across as an angry black woman right now, but it is so incredibly frustrating and aggravating to know that if you report a crime, the chances of something actually being done about it are slim to none. We are now at a stage where we report crimes for insurance and statistics purposes. Unfortunately, being in the true crime space has forced me to gain a deeper insight and understanding of how police in South Africa work. And as a result, it's my opinion that the state of policing in South Africa is appalling. It doesn't help that I've personally never had a satisfactory encounter with police other than the times I've gone to certify documents. And it really is such a shame and even disgrace that I feel this way about our policemen and women. I think we actually see three sides to the SAPS in this case. We see the officers like Rosemary and possibly Nomsa, who actively went against their ethos as police officers to commit horrendous crimes. Then, somewhere in the middle, are the officers tasked with initially investigating some of Rosemary's crimes, who clearly just dawdled and threw their hands up in the air. And then we have the officers that, if it wasn't for them, Rosemary would probably still be out there, killing people. There are good police officers in SAPS, and there are people that truly believe in the work they do and want to help eradicate the scourge of crime in our country. But based on the information available, our rape statistics and conviction rates, our murder and specifically femicide rates, those police officers are far and few between. For all the bad we have in SAPS, people like Sergeant Keshi Bennett Mabunda and Colonel Ntipe Boloka give me hope and they truly make me believe that it is possible to turn things around and allow for justice to prevail. However you view police officers personally, there's no doubt that being an officer comes with some sense of implied authority. You can arrest people. You know the law. Maybe you know things that most others don't. And maybe, just maybe, you can do things that most others can't. And this is an entirely separate question. How did the implied authority of being a police officer, and perhaps the knowledge she gained through being one, aid Rosemary in becoming a serial killer in the way that she did, if at all. Rosemary is not the first serial offender who was also in a job that gave them a sense of power. In fact, that seems to be a common choice or desire for these types of offenders, which kind of makes sense from a psychological perspective, which we'll get into much deeper in our next episode. So the first question Mfundo and I asked ourselves was what was Rosemary's true motivation behind becoming a police officer? When she left her family home in Mpumalanga for Johannesburg to become a police officer, 
Was she doing so with gains of power in mind? Or did she really just want to make a difference? Looking at her childhood and her family structure, I don't believe Rosemary Nzobu set out to be a police officer with the intention to kill. From a young age, both herself and her younger sister Joyce wanted to enter professions where they could ultimately be of service to the community. Joyce wanted to be a teacher and Rosemary wanted to be a police officer. Based on how her early life is described by her sister and former school principal, this outcome could not have been on anyone's radar. She was a quiet and observant protector, and considering how trusted she was by her family, she was believed to be a good-natured person. When it comes to her history and the actions that followed, the lack of investigation with the suspicious death of her first child, Jaunty, seems to have been her turning point, and was perhaps the moment that she realized she could dive full force into the business of murder for money as long as she was careful. It would be another four years after Jonty's passing before she would really ramp up her insurance killings. I think the lifestyle change that came about when she was promoted from constable to sergeant in 2012 played a huge role in this. As of 2021, the starting salary for a police constable is around 183,000 rand per year, while a sergeant can earn up to 273,000 rand. These figures were obviously not as high in 2012 as most public service workers get an annual increase in line with inflation every year, but I think they are relevant to discuss as a means of comparison. I say all this to say that although the remuneration between a constable and sergeant is vastly different, we must keep in mind that Ndrovu was a gambler and not always the most financially responsible, as can be evidenced by her involvement with loan sharks. She had to find a way to maintain her lifestyle as a sergeant and present as such to her colleagues and family while still dealing with large financial losses as a result of gambling. And I agree there for the most part, I think. I do think that the parts of Rosemary that would later turn her into what she became were probably always there. And while there likely was an element of service to the community for her, and maybe that was what she'd consciously told herself was her reason for wanting to become a police officer, I have to wonder whether there was a part of her that kind of lacked the power and authority she would gain. And maybe that part only grew with her promotion too. We also wondered though how Rosemary being a police officer perhaps gave her additional authority within her family. Many of her family members were unemployed, so would her job as well as the power and salary that came with it, have helped her when she needed her family members to just do what she told them in terms of the policy she wanted to take out and not question as much as they might. Not long ago, the police service was a highly respected profession in South Africa, especially post-1994 and in the early 2000s when Nglovo joined the service. With our ever-increasing crime rates and seeming lack of care of police officers, 
I don't think the same can be said of SAPS today. From when she joined SAPS in 2002 to her eventual expulsion and arrest in 2018, Rovu must have enjoyed some social perks. Of course, it is important to note that not everyone who is a police officer abuses their authority. However, in Rovu's case, it seems that her job may have given her the confidence and resources she needed to carry out her crimes. She was able to use her position to intimidate people into doing what she wanted. She was able to access information about people that they would not have wanted her to know. She was able to use her position to get away with things that would have gotten other people into trouble, such as carrying around a firearm and indebting yourself to loan sharks. There is also a duality to her that we saw play out during the televised trial. She could be meek and almost infantile, and the very next day, she could be bold, confident, and self-assured. This duplicity in her is what I believe helped her create this army of supporters in her family, and this influence was further bolstered by the fact that she was financially supporting them and worked in a respected profession in a position of authority as a sergeant. Ultimately, it is impossible to say for sure how much of an impact Ndlovo's job as a police officer had on her crimes. However, it is clear that her position gave her a certain level of authority that she was able to use to her advantage. One thing that I think is very clear is that whether she did so purposefully or not, Rosemary gleaned knowledge from her time as a police officer that she used to evade capture and to plan her crimes in a way she thought would thwart investigations into her. One example of this is how she seemed to use hitmen to kill people who would be considered as particularly close to her, such as Maurice, who was her partner. She undoubtedly would have known that an investigation into a murder always starts with the people closest to the victim, especially their partner. So in these cases, she needed to distance herself from the crime, while in other cases, where she clearly felt less at risk, she seems to have done the job herself. I think the scene that screams this the most for me is the recording we've heard of her talking to the undercover cop posing as a hitman who she intended to kill her sister and five children. Firstly, she insisted that the children needed to be killed as well, because they would be possible witnesses. And I'm guessing she didn't want any additional surviving beneficiaries. Which was chilling enough. But then she explains how she wants the crime committed, and insists that they must die by fire. Now, not only is this a pretty inefficient way of killing a large group of people, but it's also an absolutely horrific way. But Rosemary explains that it's the method that will draw the least amount of attention in an investigation. Fires happen all the time in the villages, she says. And she goes on to say that the hitman cannot, under any circumstances, use a gun or a knife, because that will be suspicious to detectives in Mpumalanga. 
This, for me at least, speaks volumes. An ordinary person would likely not think about the methods of killing that are common to an area which may draw more or less attention than others. A fire tragically wiping out an entire family could easily be closed off as a terrible incident, but not one that's necessarily murder. But bring weapons into it, and the red flags immediately go up. Especially weapons that Rosemary says are not commonly used in the area she grew up in. But even despite having this knowledge, Rosemary was still really sloppy. And I think this is perhaps where her own level of narcissism came in, which is really something that catches most criminals out. They begin to believe that they're smarter than everyone else, that they're untouchable. I think Ndlovu was one of two things. Either she was incredibly unintelligent and did not fully grasp the advantage she had as a police officer to help cover her crimes, or the more likely scenario, she was an incredibly lazy criminal. In her earlier crimes, she definitely used the knowledge she had as a police officer to help her avoid identification, but I do believe she got lazy and overconfident over time. She was aware of the types of evidence that police look for when investigating a crime, and she probably initially took steps to avoid leaving behind any incriminating evidence. Checking herself into hospital to establish an alibi was one such way. She also used her knowledge of police procedures to her advantage. She knew the time it takes for the police to respond to a crime and was able to use this knowledge to plan her crimes in a way that would make it more difficult for the police to catch her. I believe the main reason she avoided detection for so long is because SAPS is incredibly understaffed and undertrained. And though people may have had their suspicions, few would have wanted to accuse someone in their own line of work. Mfundo and I are not police officers. We have no understanding of what it feels like to go to work every day knowing that you're possibly putting your life at risk. We don't know what the bond feels like between people who are all in that same situation. But there is someone who does know. I met this person during my true crime journey. He's an ex-police officer and thoroughly enjoyed his time in the service, but moved on to do something different. So he doesn't have any bad feelings toward the SAPS, and he also still has friends in the service, so he's asked me to keep his identity confidential. This ex-SAPS officer, let's call him Sergeant Doe, does have a lived experience that we don't have, that might help us better understand the Blue Shield, and how, if at all, being a police officer may have influenced Rosemary and her crimes. As he wants to remain anonymous, I've changed his voice with a voice distortion tool. Here is what Sergeant Doe has to say about his experience of being a police officer. So, I always wanted to be a police officer. My dad and uncle were police officers, and it was a job I saw as, you know, respectable and 
doing something good with your life. If I think back, there was, you know, probably other stuff that also made me interested in being a cop. I saw like the friendships my dad and uncle had with their colleagues. Like they really had this bond with these other officers. And that wasn't something you could just get anywhere else. Also, I guess like the excitement of it, it's not like a boring desk job. And I did get what I was looking for out of a job, or for the most part at least. It was different from when my dad and my uncle were cops. The crimes were different. I think they were more hectic. But there was also the stuff that was always going to be the same. Like those bonds. I definitely got that straight away. I think it's almost like soldiers going to war together every single day. You've got each other's backs, you know? Sometimes the person standing next to you in uniform is the only person in the room who doesn't want you dead. Yeah, I know that sounds crazy, but it really was like that sometimes. Like, you could just be attending a normal call, and suddenly a whole street of people just turn against you. And now, it's just you and your colleague. So that stuff, it definitely builds a friendship like nothing else. And yes, you sometimes help your buddy out. If his wife is giving him and he just wants to stay for another dog, then you lie for him. Or if you know he's had a rough night the night before and is a bit late for his shift, when you just cover for him. I never had to decide whether to cover up for the big stuff, like theft or something. But I know it happened. Some stuff I didn't agree with. Like, if a fellow cop had anger issues, and you know he's taking that out on his wife and kids, and then the woman wants to lay a complaint, I've seen partners get sent from pillar to post on purpose. And you know, that bugged me, because it's dangerous. But yeah, it definitely happens more so in some places than in others. But I also think there's a line, you know? If someone is stopping too much, or doing something that, yeah, it's illegal, but it's like small stuff, well, maybe there's no harm in looking the other way. But with black murder, you can't cover up for that. Well, I wouldn't have. But maybe it can be that people just convince themselves that it can't be true or something. It does make sense that someone who is a police officer will know things that other people don't. And that can help them commit crimes. And also that bit of extra power you have can come in handy when you want something done. I actually left the cops because I could feel my head wasn't very lucky anymore. I sought to my I think, and there wasn't really anyone to get help from. 
Like, yeah, they have people you can talk to, but that stuff isn't private. They can tell your superiors, and that will stop you from getting a promotion. So then, what's the point, you know? So I just thought, no. If I carry on, I'm not going to be happy. And now I can actually see how the job stuffed up my uncle and my dad a bit. They stayed in it until they retired. And I can see how it changed them. There's just stuff in general that no one will understand if they haven't been a cop. And I really think if you go into that job and you've already got some issues or stuff that's going on with you, it's a dangerous combination. A dangerous combination. I think that sums it up pretty perfectly. Mfundo and I hope that you found value in episode two of Rosemary's Hitlist, the official companion podcast. Be sure to follow the podcast wherever you're listening to be alerted when new episodes drop over the next few days. Next time on Rosemary's Hitlist, the official companion podcast. We go inside the mind of Rosemary Ndlovu. If we think of it that way, we also think of somebody who might take pleasure from outwitting others from manipulating others, from being able to get away with something. So not only could the motive be a financial, but there's also a thrill in being able to commit something and getting away with it and outsmarting other people.